151. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so if you're following the calendar uh, that we kind of sent out with um, the reading schedule, you'll see that there's a typo. So today we're just going to do Psalm 110, um, and you know we'll pick back up with uh, more than one chapter after today, but today it's just Psalm 110, and it's actually perfect because <laughs> Psalm 110 is amazing, right? Like, it is one of the major, major, major Old Testament passages uh, that we have, and it tells us so much about Jesus, right? And Psalm 110 is actually probably, like, most the most alluded to and quoted Old Testament passage in all of the New Testament. Right. So it's definitely the most quoted psalm, but also one of the most prominent passages. And I'll show you how, why and where, um, you know, Jesus is everywhere interspersed throughout this passage. And the New Testament uh, picks it up and applies it to him. So you have like Peter in Acts 2 who will use this psalm. Paul in Ephesians 1. Right. The writer of Hebrews. Right. All throughout his letter is like built around this psalm. And so notice what it says at the very beginning. It says, yo, this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, stop right there. This psalm is a psalm of David. So David is speaking here. And in the original language, it's basically David saying this. Yahweh says to my Adonai, to my Adonai, to my master or to my Lord. So in other words, with David, the king of Israel, what he is saying is this. Yahweh is saying something to my master. And it's like, who is David's master other than Yahweh himself? How how could he call someone else Lord if it's not Yahweh? What David is doing here in the New Testament will show us is that David is eavesdropping to into a divine conversation right among the godhead he is listening to a divine dialogue he's listening to the father speak to the son right that's in in whether he knows that or not i have no idea but based on what we have in the new testament especially hebrews 1 this is what it says right the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand now um You know, every time the New Testament speaks of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, we should hear an echo or an allusion to this song, right? And if you think about it, it's like, oh, we kind of instinctively say that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, not even knowing where it comes from, right? This is similar to what hip-hop recording artist Jay-Z does. Um, You know, in one of his songs, he say, I say a big verse, I'm only big enough, my brother, big enough, my barrel, I'm big enough to do it, I'm that thorough, plus I know my own flow is foolish, in other words, what he's saying is, I quote Biggie and I say his lines, not because I'm stealing his lines or anything like that, but I am alluding to him and I want people to remember him and his influence, right? Whenever I say something that he said, it's the same here with this passage. Whenever we see the right hand of God, right, or his enemies, got uh, Jesus' enemies being his footstools, the New Testament wants us to remember that it has been influenced by Psalm 110, right? So when it speaks of Jesus in this way, 
Um, it's speaking of him in his post-resurrection and uh, ascension state, right? Like, so after he completes his work on the cross, after he resurrects uh, from the grave, he, he gives instructions to the disciples and he ascends to the right hand of the father, right? And, you know, Jesus brilliantly brings these, uh, bring this, brings this psalm up to the Pharisees, right? And he leaves them clueless in Mark 12, Matthew 22 and Luke 20. And what he's just trying to do is show them. He's like, yo, they didn't believe that the Messiah could be greater than David. And Jesus is like, yo, why does David call him Lord, right? He's like, why does he basically call me Lord if I'm not greater than him, all right? And so, in other words, we have the king of Israel at the time, David, right, singing the praises of another human king, right? And not only is he just singing the praises of this human king, he is sitting at the right hand of the father, right, on a throne. This means he has honor and privilege. And because he is at his right hand, it means he has also equality with the father, right? They are equal in the new testament will even tell us that they are necessarily like actually one right and you know it goes on and on and it talks about you know he's made his enemies his footstool and that points to yeah in the ancient near east like kings having dominance and control over the enemies and we know that this is ultimately sin satan death evil and the powers of darkness and this is what we would call guys the heavenly session of christ Right. The heavenly session of Christ means that he is at God's right hand and he is ruling and he is reigning the universe because of his work on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. He, in light of all of that, those events he, he uh, did in history, he is now reigning next to the father. And this is the heavenly session of Christ. So this is why when we say like, yo, Jesus is king, this is what we mean. Right. Like he, we we don't bow down to caesar to any president to any ruler to anybody on earth why because our king is in the heaven on his throne right he's currently ruling the universe and that makes him more worthy of our worship than any other person can be right he is guiding us day by day working things toward his eternal plan right for all that he's had for us for all of eternity so, so that yeah, that first part is talking about Jesus' kingship, his heavenly session, and his equality with the Father. So much packed in one verse, <laughs> right? Um, and then we're going to go down to verse 4, right, which is the other prominent verse. So this psalm is basically split into two halves. And, yeah, I didn't mention it on the front end, but this, yeah, is a deep dive. So I hope you're following along with me in your Bible. Um, so verse 4 says this, The Lord has sworn an oath and would not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. What we have here uh, is that this same man he calls a king, which is Jesus we know now from the New Testament, is also a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, if you guys remember, is this random dude who shows up in Genesis 14, right? He blesses Abraham and he low-key, like, disappears, right? Like, he just kind of goes away. <laughs> um, and it's weird, but Melchizedek, in Genesis 14, we know, is a priest and a king. Now, remember, we've been reading through the Bible up until this point, and if you've been following us, priests and kings were separate offices in the nation of Israel, right? They were separate, right? The priests came from Levi, and the kings came from Judah, right? And we see that 
what the Bible is trying to do is tie these threads and show us is that Melchizedek is was both, right? And that Christ is a priest in the way that Melchizedek was, not in the way that the Levites were. And he's not a king simply in the way that those from the line of Judah were. Now, how? How is he like Melchizedek? Well, in Genesis, if we remember, it would probably be helpful to go back and refer to Genesis 14. If we remember, right, Melchizedek in the book of Genesis is about origin stories. So we have the origin of the universe, the origin of the people of God, starting with Abraham. And we're always told how they're born. Well, in, in that text, we're not. Melchizedek is not technically born in the same way in this narrative that everybody else is. And then on the flip side, everybody that we get we get introduced to in Genesis dies, right? Like everybody dies. So you have, yeah, like, you know, uh, Abraham dies, Joseph dies. Like every single person that we get introduced to dies because it's alluding to the fact that God said, yo, like Adam, you sinned, you're going to die. And we see the curse playing out in Genesis, but we don't see that with Melchizedek, right? And so what the Bible is trying to say is this, Melchizedek was a shadow, right? He was pointing forward to Jesus, the one who is pre-existent, meaning he's always existed from all of eternity. And now because of his resurrection and ascension, we know that he will never die. So that's why he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek wasn't eternal, but he's saying Jesus fulfills what he represented in the book of Genesis. And that's why this priesthood that Christ has is better than the Levitical one because the Levites, we know, yo, they did their work and then they passed the baton to the next one, right? They passed it to the next generation. They died and then we had to wait for the next one to grow up and be a priest. It was over and over and over and over again. And it kept the baton of priesthood kept getting passed from one person to the next. Now, he's also a priest in the order of Melchizedek because he's a priest forever. Like I said, boom, he doesn't die. But also his work is finished. So when it says the New Testament says he sits at the right hand of the father, Hebrews 1 will say this is after making purification for sins. So in other words, the priests in the Old Testament, the Levites, you know what they did? They went into the temple, they did their work, and they was always standing up. Why? Because they had to continue atoning for the people of God's sins over and over and over. In other words, Jesus's work is done. That's why he's sitting down, right? That's why he's sitting down. He's done. He, he made his sacrifice for sins once and for all time. And now forever and ever, we are reconciled to God. That's why he is an eternal high priest. And when we need his grace and his mercy, right, he intercedes on our behalf before the Father. He doesn't just offer a perfect sacrifice like the Old Testament priest did. He is the perfect sacrifice himself. And now because of him, we can have fellowship with God. We can be cleansed from our sin, right? The sin that made us filthy before the most high. And because he is eternal, because he has resurrected and ascended, this work has eternal significance. Nothing or no one can change it, right? And so what we see here in shadow form, we get in its substance, later in the person and work of Christ. Guys, Christ is a king that is to be submitted to, but he's also a priest that did the work.
that no man, no mere man at least, can never do. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the depth of your word, God. How it all connects, how it's all one story. We pray that we would familiarize ourselves with the storyline and the narrative of the Bible. And by doing that, come to see the precious person of Jesus more and more clearly with the eyes of faith until the day we see him with the eyes of sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.